feels, well, I'm going to get way away from the pulpit, but uh, unlike olden times when I would say if there was a moment of speculation that I'm going to step away from the pulpit, that's not what I'm doing this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking as we continue to walk through the Gospel of John, we're going to be looking this morning at what is famously known as Peter's denial. And I want us to ask the question, why? I want us to ask the question, why did Peter deny him? And behind that would be, why Peter? Of all of the disciples, why Peter the bold, Peter the brave, Peter the courageous? I want you to notice the subtle steps that he takes to get there. They're very, they're very, very slow. And I don't believe that Peter was prepared at all to be accosted as he was. I just finished reading uh, Ransom Riggs' book. It's, by the way, Ransom Riggs has a whole series of books that are coming out. And uh, you might not see them at first uh, glance on your favorite aisle at Barnes & Noble because they're in the teen fiction section. But in the teen fiction section, there's Mrs. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. And I've really enjoyed reading the, the series because Miss Peregrine, who's unusual in herself, has gone around the world and children that have peculiar gifts, that they have peculiar odd powers, are wanted. And because they're so misunderstood, then she kind of brings them under her wings and protects them and keeps them in a specially guarded loop to protect them. But they, every once in a while they have to go outside of that loop and every once in a while they'll go outside of the loop to get a peculiar child and bring them in. Well, one of the peculiar children that they bring in, Jacob, his father, his grandfather, has just been slain. And when his grandfather was slain, he saw this odd-looking monster in the bushes. And he realized that it was that monster that slew his grandfather who used to tell him all of these stories that he always thought were mythical. Well, now Jacob has gone through the loop and he's talking to a peculiar child, and she's trying to convince him that he is peculiar himself. And he says, I'm common, just like my grandfather. Oh, is that really what you think? Yes, because if I could do something spectacular like you, don't you think I would have noticed it by now? Oh, but common people can't pass through loops. But I'm the most average person that you'll ever meet. I doubt that very much. Your grandfather had a rare and peculiar talent. Something almost no peculiar can do. And then she met my eyes and she said, Your grandfather can see monsters. Can you? None of the peculiar children could see the things that would attack them. They couldn't see the monsters. If they could see the monsters, they could do something about it. They could prepare. But Jacob, like his grandfather, had a most peculiar gift. He could see the threat. He could see the monster. 
this morning as we move in our series once again from myth all the way to truths that we begin to put our weight on and give us life, I want you to acknowledge, as it were, a, a negative truth. The negative is this, that even the strongest, most courageous, most brave, most intimate disciple, such as exampled by Peter, can and will deny Christ in certain trials and moments of our life. If you can see that monster, if you know that lurking out there are temptations where we will be accosted or we will be questioned, where we will be cornered with an issue or a question or a dilemma or asking to weigh in with our values or with our understanding of a matter or our opinion, that we should be able to see that lurking there is a temptation to deny the very Christ who we adore, the very Christ who is our creed, we can deny Him. If Peter could, not only can we, but I submit to you that we do. I submit to you that we do. So let's be very cautious this morning if we just beat up on poor Peter to realize he was the best and brightest and the boldest of them. I want, to, I want you to see three instances of his denial in the time that remains. And I want to try to be very practical this morning to encourage you as you face these monsters or these traps, these pitfalls, where we too will be tempted, strongly tempted, to deny Christ. And they're so subtle and progressive that you might even miss the first one. If you'll look, the first denial was in order to get into the door. And we see that in verses 16 and 17 where it says Peter stood outside at the door so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Peter, up to this point, has demonstrated nothing but courage. You know, it was Peter who loved the Lord so much that he would testify. When Christ said, who do people say that I am? Peter would look and say, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. You're the one that has come into this world to set things right. To bring man who is alien from you and separated from God, to bring those two back together. You're the one doing that. Peter also was brave to follow Christ. It says here that John is following, but also, well, you don't know that it's John. All we know is that it says here, the other disciple. But we believe, there's a general understanding that we believe it to be John. But the other disciple is following Christ, and Peter when the other disciples have fled in the garden, as we saw last week, when they left Jesus, Peter turns around and very bravely follows after Christ. He follows under the scandalous image of Christ bound and being led away by his persecutors. Peter 
decides to follow. Very, very brave of him. And we saw earlier, he was ready to fight. Now that's courage. He pulls out a a knife or a sword, a blade of some sort, and lops off a servant's ear. I mean, he shed blood for Christ. Courageous and brave. Brave Peter. And yet, that courage can also be a weakness. I have found that over and over again in my life, the two things that I know are the greatest temptation for me are this, that my greatest strength is my greatest temptation for weakness and sin. I can use my greatest strength and my greatest temperament and my greatest abilities and my greatest skills for ill. And the second thing that I've learned is I've learned that there's an intimate connection between the things that I fear and my sin. There's an intimate connection between the things that I'm afraid of and the things that I do in response to that fear. Notice what Peter, strong and courageous, does at this point. He wants to get in. He wants to get through the door. And by golly, he'll use his strength. I believe that he was not cowled at all by saying, oh no, there's a, there's a servant girl. There's probably a guard there too. I, don't, I can't... You know, I I can't get through and turn around. Nope. He makes a beeline. He's going to get through that door. He's going to say or do anything to get through that door. Just like in the garden, he would do anything, even violence, to protect Jesus. Not appropriate at all. Not appropriate at all. But he would do it. Notice his great strength and his courage got him to the point of the door, but then he was held up, and it's the other disciple that will go back and get him through. Because it says to us here in the text that this other disciple was known by the high priest. And the word there, gnosnos, is a word that means familiarity, but not family intimacy. Many people believe that John is this other disciple. And that John places his name as the other disciple. He puts himself into the picture for two reasons. Number one, he puts himself into the picture to show that he didn't get in because he was strong and brave. He got in because he was known. He was familiar. Many historians believe that he was the fishmonger to the high priest. He sold fish to him. That the high priest and his household would be able to say, yeah, that's just John. That's just a fishmonger. Let him in. He's, he's harmless. And the second reason is, is that John would show that there was a way to get into the door by your love for Christ. He never was challenged. He would have been known. He was the beloved. He would have been known for following Christ out of his great love, not out of his great courage or boldness. He loved him. Nobody accosted him. Nobody challenged him. And it's not to say that we won't be challenged if we love Christ. We certainly will. But John places himself and said, I was able to get through. God took care 
of me to get me through the door. I didn't have to muscle my way through. I didn't have to to come up to the door and threaten or anything like that. And so if you look here at the Scripture, here is Peter. And at this point, he is going back, as it were. He's kind of resorting to his old lifestyle. Now, before I leave this point, again, let's not be too abusive of Peter. This is the very first instance of separation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Up until this point, they had camped with Him, hiked with Him, eaten with Him. They were disciples. He was the teacher and the rabbi. And during that time, to be a disciple of a rabbi, to be a student, to be intimate with the rabbi, meant that you slept where he slept, you would hang on his words. To be a disciple was to affirm his teaching and then watch him, watch him closely and follow his example. And now, in this instance of living in separation, physical separation from Jesus, he's trying to stand, as it were, on elementary legs. He's learning to walk. He's learning what life will be like in the world and with Christ, but with Him physically separated, even as we must learn. Notice that... Um, I, 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 just a one more uh, remark. Proverbs 14.12 was very instrumental in my salvation. Proverbs 14.12 says... There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that it seems right. But if you keep going that way, it is not going to end well. And I will tell you that death in our world always masquerades as life. I believe that Peter did not think for a moment it was such a subtle, small step. He just wanted to get through the door to be with Jesus. And if just saying a casual, not me, got him in the door, he's willing to do it. Just a subtle, small step. I believe if you had arrested Peter right there for a moment and said, hey, fella, you just denied your Lord. He'd say, what? Denied him? I'm following him. I'm risking my life and self-preservations to go through this door. But he was separated. He was not at the side of Christ, even spiritually. He was operating on his own. There was a way that seemed right to him. There is a way that may seem right to us sexually. There may be a way that seems right to us materially. There may be a way that seems right to us that's such a small step away. You know what? I can follow Christ and still do this. In fact, this actually helps me get closer to Christ. But we need to be very, very clear. Is it the Lord? Is it the Lord that is leading us? Or are we reverting back to old patterns? For if we're reverting back to old patterns and doing it in our own energy, then that's a very subtle step, but it's a denial of Christ as our teacher and our example. We're doing it our way. Secondly, notice that the second denial was in order to stay warm by the fire. We see this in verse 25 where it tells us, 
Well, look up to verse 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Um, I don't know if you have had an opportunity to read the paper uh, this morning, the Post and Courier, but there is in the faith section, there's an article, front page, large article, about millennials who are not joining the church. Millennials who are, at best, will attend very kind of large, big box churches where they're unaffiliated, where there's not the commitment level. And it's because there's certain truths that the Orthodox Church teaches that they do not affirm. Oh, they go along with many things, but then there are other things that they do not. And so the biggie is currently is sexual orientation, homosexuality. And because of a disagreement with what the Scriptures teach in light of what the culture is teaching, they have said, we're going to leave the church. Or we're not going to be identified with a church that does not identify itself with the culture and its current understanding or practice of homosexuality. Now that's a big subject and it is not my subject this morning. But a disciple, as I said earlier, a disciple is this. A disciple of any religion. A disciple after any follower. A disciple of rug hookers. A rug hooking disciple will say, I understand and I accept and I receive the teaching of the teacher, the mentor, or the instructor. And I will follow their example. A disciple of Jesus Christ says, I will affirm his teaching. His values will be my values. His, where he sleeps, I will sleep. What he possesses, I will possess. His opinions are my opinions. And more than that, I will follow that example. Notice Peter. Peter is now starting to shift identity. Previous to this, he has been identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ. His identity was union with the rabbi Jesus Christ. You're one of those. On any other day, he would have said, yes, I am. But he's shift location now. We believe that it would have been chilly at night. They didn't typically have a fire ring or pit in the courtyard because they didn't have trials at night. They didn't do that, but it's, the, it's, it's Thursday night. It's Monday, Thursday night. It's the night prior to the Passover. And there, as, as they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover, he's on trial. He is on trial for his life. And Jesus Christ takes a stand and does not back away from anything that he's taught. But look at Peter. Peter is beside a fire with people, a different group. In other words, he's left the group of the disciples 
and align himself with another. Matthew Henry writes this warning about such fires. Those that warn themselves with evildoers grow cold towards good people and good things. If I look to a group outside for my identity, in other words, if I shift my identity to say from union with Christ, intimacy with Christ, intimacy with His teaching, and intimacy with following His examples, and say, you know what, I'll follow some of His examples, but not all of them. I'll follow some of His teachings, but not all of them. You know, I, I don't agree with the, my church at all that teaches that. You know what, when the Scripture says that, I just believe that that's total nonsense. Even the resurrection. And Jonah. You know, that's, it's kind of a good story, but that's just, that's just icing on the cake. It's just myth. And as you move away from that, there's an identity shift because notice what Peter is asked about and challenged was, not are you a Christian? And I'm talking to you as I'm talking to me. I'm talking to Christians this morning. If you're not a Christian this morning, then I would ask you, I would ask you to, to consider what is my identity? What group do I identify with? Where do I find that I agree with their values? Where do I find that I'm going to follow their example? And when you identify it, go wholeheartedly. Go wholeheartedly. Go wholeheartedly. And ask those questions. Where did I come from? Who am I? What is my purpose? Where do I find relief for the guilt and the shame that I feel? What must I do in whatever it is that I'm finding as a group I identify with? And then where ultimately am I going? And Peter was making a shift here as he aligned himself around that fire, not just for physical warmth, but he placed himself there. Notice he didn't go. It doesn't say the other disciple who we believe to be John. It doesn't say, and Peter went to be beside John. Brother, hold me up. Man, I either want to kill somebody or I want to get out of here. I want to run away. But hold me up. No, he aligns himself around a fire pit with evil men. A different group. And I can tell you that you and I, though it may seem like one more subtle step, it's a descent that as we spend more time there than around the others, that other group, the disciples, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, it begins to change us so that they can look at us and they say, you're not, you're not Two Rivers Presbyterian, are you? You're not one of those Reformed church guys, are you? I, I think you're a Christian, but what group? You're one of those conservative Christians? Oh, you're, one of the, you're in that group that believes da-da-da-da-da-da-da, whatever it is that is the polar opposite against whatever the cultural issue is. Oh, you're not, you're not pro-life, are you? You're not, you're not pro-opposite sex marriage alone, are you? You're not 
oh, what, you know what? I go to Two Rivers, or I'm a part of a Reformed church, or I believe in the Bible, but you know, I'm not, I'm not rigid. You know, I'm not, I'm not tight. Po- Peter was not asked about his faith in Christ. He was asked about his allegiance and alliance with a group. Are you one of those? I have to search my heart all the time. All the time. All the time. Because I deny. You know, here's the challenge to Phil Stogner. Do you recognize, do you recognize how easy it is to think that you're not denying Jesus Christ by denying a lack of loyalty or affiliation with a group who follows Him with devotion? Do I realize that if I step outside of that group that follows Him with complete devotion, with whole heart, that if I step outside that group even for a moment, that I'm not just denying the group, that I'm denying Christ? What fire really keeps me warm? The third denial... The third denial, we've come two steps down in the descent, and it's a rapid descent. The third denial, three steps away, was in order to distance himself from the garden. Notice what John leaves out. It's very important because if you'll see in the Gospel writers, if you'll see what they leave out as opposed to the others, or if you see what they add, as opposed to others, you'll get the author's emphasis. You'll get that author's perspective that does not contradict at all, but it makes for a fuller picture. So I went, each of the Gospels, there's only three things that all the Gospel writers address. And this is one of the three. There are things that John leaves out. There are things that the other Gospel writers add in for a full picture of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ and His death on our behalf and His resurrection. The denial of Peter, they all address. But John leaves out a couple of things. John leaves out four things. He leaves out, number one, I do not know the man. Peter's response in denial are only two words. Not me. Are you with this group? Not me. You're one of his followers, one of his band of disciples. Not me. No, wait a minute. You were there in the garden and I think it was your sword and blade on my cousin's ear. Not me. Two little words. Not me. The other Gospels say, I did not know the man. But John is emphasizing that Peter has shifted groups, not his allegiance with Christ, except by failing to align himself as a community of followers. Secondly, John leaves out the curses and the oaths because the third denial was accompanied by curses and oaths. Where he said, ah, you know, I'm not a part of that blankety-blank group. That fundamentalist, stuck-up, errant, ignorant, primitive teaching, Bible-believing. John leaves out those curses and oaths. 
You think that I'm a fundamentalist? You think that, you think that I believe everything that I read? That was his curse. John leaves that out. John also left out the look of Christ. Where Christ bound, he's inside, but he's able to look out through an archway or something and see Peter at the cock crowing the third time, and he's able to visually see him. And the fourth thing that John leaves out is the brokenness and the weeping. He ends the story with verse 27, Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Why? It's, it's a story that's, it's, to me, it's, it's like the story of the prodigal son where the elder brother is left out in the field. You know, we don't know if he's going to come in or if he's going to stay out there. We don't know if Peter is going to, to repent and be restored, turn back to, to Christ in full-hearted devotion and gather the disciples around him and band together and be strong? We don't know at this point. So why did John leave that out? Why did he leave, as it were, Peter on the horns of a dilemma? He denied him and then the rooster crows and the curtain falls. Because John wants to emphasize something else. John, who would have been an eyewitness, John, who, would have, who is known as the intimate of Christ, the beloved, he wanted us to focus that sandwiched in between Peter's denial is Jesus Christ not denying us. That as Peter would, would give over you know, and throw the group overboard and deny allegiance, Jesus Christ would defend himself by standing firm on his life and his ministry, his mission. As Peter was not willing to throw himself into the fray, come what may, be a willing sacrifice, Jesus Christ stands his ground to be the sacrifice. John would say, don't simply focus on Peter's denial. Look at Christ. And look at Christ and how he handles denial. I've got to close, but there's a passage in 2 Timothy that created for quite a while in my life some consternation. It's 2 Timothy, the second chapter, verse 11. And I don't know if you're into Bible memory, but I've got to have addresses, Bible addresses, uh, verse, verses that have some sense of flow. So say, think, think 2 Timothy, second chapter, and then if you add 1 and 1 for verse 11 together, that gives you 2. So 2 Timothy, second chapter, Verse 11, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, 
we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. At first reading, you would think, well, Peter's toast. Peter denied him, so if we deny him, he also will deny us. And then there's that passage in Luke where Christ says we're to take up our cross and we are to follow him. But we're to follow him without denying him, without being ashamed of him. Or else, at the end time, he will say, I deny you entry because you denied me. So, at first blush, it looks like that's what's happening here. Is that Peter denied him and we, when we deny him, deserve or warrant the justice of being denied by Christ. But no. We have that verse that if we are faithless, if we don't keep the faith, if we don't keep the trust, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And it teaches me two things. Particularly as we prepare to come to this table. Number one, when I deny him, he denies that part of me that is denying him. When I deny him and say, oh, he's, he's too tough in this part. Or he's, I don't like this part. Then he denies that part of me. He doesn't acknowledge that. That is something that I need to be, address. That's something that I need to mourn over and I need to turn back to him. But then secondly, if we're faithless, He will never, never deny us because He can't deny Himself. If we deny Him because we want no part to do with Him, then we'll get the fruit of that denial. We will be denied. But if we deny Him out of weakness, sin, self-preservation, giving way to my faults and my errant ways, If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He will keep the faith. He will not let you go. He will, if we could fast forward to another fire, if you could fast forward to the end of this book to another fire, you would see that He will restore Peter. That's the difference between Judas and Peter. That Peter denied him. Jesus Christ doesn't say, Oh, totally understand. Keep doing it. Go your own way. He says, no. But I will come to you and I will restore you. And even at the point of your denial, you're going to be stronger. And we know that. We believe that Peter would die later a horrible death. But that's after many, many years of a strong, strong ministry facing all sorts of things facing other persecutors and accusers. But this time, he will do it because he is facing it with the one who was faithful to restore him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I'm going to come to this table today
as the chief denier. Lord, as I search my heart, I deny Christ and I deny this fellowship in such small ways. Father, I deny in subtle ways. I pray that you would give me eyes to see that which lurks out there is so subtle. To read something in the paper, to read something on a blog, to talk with a friend or a neighbor or someone at work or in the classroom or on campus, to talk with a family member, to talk with a member of another church, and to find myself at the end of the conversation having agreed just to get along or having agreed or acknowledged like, oh, no, I'm, I, you know, I don't believe that. I, I, I'm with you just to be accepted. Father, would you forgive me even as you've promised to be faithful? Would you be so faithful as to bring those instances to mind that we might give them over to you? And then from the elements of this table, we ask that you would use the bread and the cup to strengthen us, not in our own strength, but strengthen us in adoration of you standing your ground for us. And draw us very close. Get us away from the fire and draw us close to your side. Father, if you're bound, we're willing to be bound. If you go to a cross, Father, give us a heart to follow you all the way. If suffering is ahead, then, Father, give us strength and strengthen our faith that we won't deny you in the suffering. And do that through the mystery of this table again, that we might be strengthened by the very person of Christ whom we now receive again afresh and anew. And to this end we pray in Christ's name.